The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJD 800. Trouble Tuesdays tonight on the program. Uh, Once a week, I spend the entire hour answering your questions about sex, love, and relationships. You can text me at 514-800. Feel free to call me at 514-790-0800. And some of you prefer uh, simply to email me, which you can do at any time during the week, to Lori, L-A-U-R-I-E, at drlori.com, D-R-Lori. Uh, com. I just want to follow up with uh, last night we had a, a question. Somebody had ex- like really bad pain in their testicles and in the area between their anus and testicles. And somebody else wrote in saying, I've had 15 years of excruciating pain. I've been to the emergency a hundred times. I've seen tons of doctors, an ultrasound on my testicles, CT scans, peeing in paper cones to see if it's kidney stones, x-rays colonoscopies, seen urologist, family doctor, colon doctor, nephrologist. The pain comes out of nowhere and is often gone before a doctor can see you in the emergency room. It's the painful pain and when it uh, comes on, it starts with a feeling of tightness in the lower groin area and eventually ends up going from my back around to the pelvic region through my testicles and down my leg almost to my knee. Every time I get a pain attack, my world stops. I can go months with no pain or have five attacks in one day. The closest I've ever got to a diagnosis was non-bacterial prostatitis. So that said, the one thing I had brought up was that's all that I would know about would be that it could be the, the symptoms of prostatitis. I wish I had an answer for you. I wish I could tell you where else to go. Uh, I, I feel for your, this, it's so frustrating to have pain and not know the cause of that pain, because if you don't know the cause, you don't know how to treat it. So I guess the best guess is this non-bacterial prostatitis, but if it's non-bacterial, then how do you, uh, treat it? That's the part that's, uh, problematic. So, uh, maybe the best thing would be to go to a pain management clinic at this point to be able to see how to cope with the pain when the pain comes on. Uh, that might be a possibility, but that's about all I can, uh, I can think of. Oof, so frustrating. All right. Another question. I have low libido or low T meaning testosterone. I don't have much sex drive and I've got a person in my life now. What can I do to get my drive back where I want to do it like I did when I was younger? Please help me because this is really messing up uh, my life. So I don't, I'm not really sure. Are you male or female? Like I don't know how to answer this because I'm missing a whole lot of information. So gender, how old are you? What medications are you on? What else is going on in your life? Uh, If you've had your testosterone levels checked and they are low, then your doctor should maybe talk to you about hormone replacement therapy, but only if your levels are really low, if if it shows that. So um, the other thing too is you need you may need to adjust your expectations a little bit because most of us do not feel the same way 
as we did as teenagers. And this, of course, includes uh, includes sexuality. Libido can change uh, for many, many, many reasons over the course of our lifetime. So instead of uh, waiting simply until you feel like having sex, I suggest try engaging in sexual activity and see if, even if you're not horny, even if you don't have this burning desire or hunger, but see if the stimulation triggers the arousal. Sometimes, and this is true of men and women, sometimes our desire is responsive rather than spontaneous. So it responds to touch. Your desire kicks in once you get uh, stimulated. So that's a, a possibility. Uh, somebody's offering up for the person with uh, excruciating testicular pain. Perhaps the person with a testicle pain should see a neurologist. Sounds neuro in etiology. So I see on his list, I'm rereading the text, I have not seen anything about seeing a neurologist, but that's a great option. Maybe there's nerve damage. Maybe there's something to do with nerves. That's a, a, a really good avenue to explore. But you wonder, like, why hasn't the physician kind of, why, if all those doctors he's seen, why hasn't one of them thought that maybe this is neurological? So that's something to be explored. Thank you for that. And by the way, this is what I really like about the show is that even though uh, we, we get all kinds of questions, some of you listening who may not have a question may have something to add. And it's very valuable when we get your input, either because you've experienced it or maybe you have your own advice to give or uh, places to go, like just exactly like this kind of text. So uh, please feel free, 514-800. I am a 40-year-old male, and I like to have sex a lot, three or more times a day if I could. My wife, on the other hand, says she really doesn't have a drive like that. She can go like two weeks without sex. I'm not sure what to do anymore. I try to use games to help, toys. I even, I'm even hard and rub up against her or masturbate next to her, nothing like she's like she's not even noticing it. I'm tired of trying and I don't want to cheat on her, but I'm all out of ideas. Can you help? So you're talking about mismatched libidos. Believe me, there are many couples out there that have different libidos or mismatched libidos. This is why frequency is something that often gets negotiated in a couple. Now, just because you want sex three times a day doesn't mean it's your wife's responsibility to fulfill all of your sexual needs. I want to say that. And you sound like you're really trying hard to convince her, uh, but frankly, my guess is the more you try to convince her and introduce all kinds of things and push her to have more desire in the ways that you think would trigger it, the more likely she is to feel turned off by these pressures. Uh, and the, and by the way, when somebody feels really pressured, they are much less likely to want to have sex with you. Just saying. Okay. Uh, so the reality is you may never get as much sex as you ideally want, but your wife may be more into it if you find out what she needs from you. And I don't mean sexual things that she might need. Maybe she wants a, a little loving and affection and tenderness that does not lead to sex. Uh, she may be even avoiding that, thinking that if she gives you affection, 
that you're going to jump on that chance and try and take it a little bit further. Um, but that's like, this is something that you need to talk to her about because I hear this from a lot of couples where it's like, I just want to be touched out of love, not out of like, so I, out of a need for, uh, for sex. You, maybe she needs more help around the house. I don't know. Studies have shown that guys who help more around the house have better sex lives. So that's something you can think about. Um, you need to find out what it is that she actually needs in order to increase the warm feelings she has towards you. When someone has warm feelings towards you, and they won't if you pressure them, but if you, if they have those warm feelings, even if they not, don't feel completely libidinous, like they have all this spontaneous desire, they may still, um, be okay with having sex and then realizing, oh, this feels good and it's great. And they continue and, and their, their, uh, their desire is, is then triggered in between the sexual activity with your wife, take care of your own needs masturbate. That's what it's there for. Cheating should not be the alternative because that will, uh, at least has great potential to destroy your relationship for sure. Uh, coming up a question on how to have a healthy polyamorous relationship. It's Passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. It's Trouble Tuesdays. Uh, I answer your questions tonight. 514-800 to text in. This text came in. I'm guessing, I don't know if this is a question or not, if you drink urine, you're going to get bad breath. <laughs> a, why would you drink urine? And I would worry about other things for bad breath, to tell you the truth. So, uh, I don't know. Uh, anyhow, I'm silly question. Well, no, I guess no question is really a silly question, but uh, you were thinking about it. So, all right, there's the answer. I have no clue. Try it. Let us know what, what it is. No, don't try it. There's bacteria, potential bacteria in urine. So, uh, not a great idea. All right. How do I have a healthy relationship in a polyamorous relationship? This person wants to know. So let, let me just for our listeners, what is a polyamorous relationship? So, uh, basically it's poly love. So multiple loves different than swinging relationships. The big umbrella term, I guess would be open relationships or the term we use today is consensual non-monogamy. So couples choose, can choose to be in consensually non-monogamous relationships, meaning that they are non-monogamous, but they're not cheating. It's all out in the open. So each partner knows what the other one is doing and they have each other's consent for doing this. A swinging relationship would be, um, where couples, uh, engage in, uh, let's say more casual sex and it's just sex. So they don't have other relationships ongoing. It's just uh, sex and it can be and each couple makes up their, their own rules for what that sex will entail or involve. Being polyamorous, though, means that you have a primary relationship. So 
you and your partner, so whether you're married, boyfriend, what have you. And then there's an agreement that you can have outside relationships, but they are relationships. So you might have a primary and then a secondary, tertiary, and so you can have multiples of those relationships. Sounds complicated. I'm sure juggling that many love relationships has to be because you have to give uh, to, you've got to invest if you're going to develop a, a relationship with somebody. And sometimes people do run into problems. And the most, uh, the problem I see the most, uh, because I have uh, seen couples who are polyamorous, are issues of jealousy. Uh, sometimes crossing certain boundaries where uh, couples have agreed on something and um, and it went somewhere else, like it, it, it evolved into something else. Like one, I can think of one situation where the couple had agreed to be poly. Uh, and so, and in this particular relationship, there was a third party that both of them had relationships with. So the male, female, and there was another female. And they had a relationship with that, both of them had a relationship with that female, but it was agreed that neither would have sex with the other without the other one present uh, or in the same house or what have you. And then one person crossed the line and had uh, sex without telling their spouse. And then that created uh, a whole lot of uh, mistrust issues and that felt like cheating. Uh, even though they are in a consensual non-monogamous relationship because they were, their trust was betrayed. They agreed on something, their trust was betrayed. So to have a successful poly relationship requires an enormous amount of communication. You have to be really good at communicating your feelings, at expressing yourself, at handling what comes your way in terms of your partner's emotions. You have to be good at negotiating. You have to be good at compromising. Uh, if you're not, and if you're insecure in any way, this is not going to uh, be a, a good like a good option for you. It is also not a solution to fix a marriage or to fix a relationship. Um, that usually backfires. So, uh, so that's about what I have to say. If anybody out there, uh, if you're listening and you are in a polyamorous relationship, I will, I'd love to hear from you. If you have any advice to give to our texter, that would be awesome if you can share what are some of the pitfalls or what they uh, need to watch out for uh, would be great. Our next text says, I'm a 35-year-old gay man. I've never had a relationship with a gay man. I like straight guys. Since I can remember, I've always paid for straight guy sex. Do I need to seek help for this issue? I'm at the age where I probably need to get into a serious relationship. What should I do? Um, well, first of all, you like straight guys, straight guys who have sex with you, but are they really completely straight? These guys that have sex with you, um, my guess would be no, uh, not. And what are you looking for? Like if you've never had a relationship with a gay man, maybe that's where you begin. Maybe you should start that. Um, you can always go on Grinder, which is the gay app instead of Tinder. It's Grinder. You can always try that. Look at, um, look for s someone who's also looking for a relationship and try that. 
but you've got to put yourself out there and you have to try this if this is what you're looking for. Now you're saying you're at an age where you probably need to get into a serious relationship. It doesn't matter if you're not ready for a serious relationship, then that's a, that's okay too. But you need to, you need to venture into the world a little bit and meet other gay men uh, so that you can at least have conversations with them, that you can figure out, um, maybe you've just never befriended a, a gay man and even started a friendship with a gay man. I don't know, but this is something that I think would be really important. I don't think it's something that's a, a necessarily a, a psychological issue, although I question the, I like straight guys. I'm not, what is it about guys that are straight that you like. Maybe it's a type that you like. Maybe you would prefer a very, uh, maybe a more, um, like traditionally masculine kind of guy. And that's what you're associating with straight guys. So I'd want to find out a, a bit more about that. Uh, back to our prostatitis case. So, uh, the person writes back, thank you, neurologist. Okay. Uh, that's good. And he goes on to say, the urologist had explained the pain caused by non-bacterial prostatitis. The brain is sending signals to the body that something is wrong despite there not being an infection. It's a less than 0.5% of the world's population condition, which means it isn't well-researched and extremely hard to treat because nobody really knows what's actually wrong. The pain does go away with heavy-duty painkillers like Dilaudid, but I try extremely hard to limit the use of those. Good idea. If every time I had a pain attack over the past 15 years, I took Dilaudid, which is basically an, an opioid or a, like part of a, the morphine family, uh, my problem at this point would be dilaudid and not the pain attacks. I had never considered neurologist nor a pain clinic. Thank you very much. So we helped somebody. Thank you. And uh, see, a listener who texted in for that, I'm so grateful, and so is our um, our listener. Uh, texter writes, what are the symptoms of herpes? So sometimes, uh, the symptoms of herpes are, some people can be asymptomatic, meaning they do not show any symptoms of herpes, but still have the virus. Once you get the herpes virus, it stays in your system forever. Some people get outbreaks and the outbreaks can look like, uh, basically small blisters, um, they, they look like blisters on the, on the genitals basically, or around the genitals, around the anus, around that area. Uh, those are the symptoms, usually slightly painful. Um, you will easily notice them. Um, and of course, during an outbreak, you should not be engaging in any kind of, uh, sex play below the belt because it's a skin to skin sexually transmitted infection. So highly contagious in, in those situations, less so if you're asymptomatic, but apparently there is, you, you know, there is, you could transmit. There are antiviral medications that people can take to reduce the outbreaks and to reduce the uh, virus in your system so as not to be able to pass it on. So this is something you should be discussing um, with your, uh, with your doctor. 
A texter uh, responds to the uh, 35-year-old gay man who says he has never been in a relationship with a gay man, only likes straight guys. Person says, sounds like someone who is attracted to people who are not available. Scared of being loved, maybe? Ah, very good point. So if this person was in therapy, that would definitely be a hypothesis that would be followed on. Um, and we'd look at many other factors and history and, and things like that to see if, in fact, did he, does he choose unavailable people? In this case, yes. And why is that? So that's something uh, as well to be looked at. We've got some other um, feedback texts for uh, that people who want to respond to some of the other questions about polys and uh, for the, the gay gentleman as well. And uh, another little tidbit of information about drinking urine. That's all coming up. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. the pleasure and the politics to the hang-ups and the heartbreak you're listening to passion cjd 800 your questions answered tonight until 11 p.m uh this texter writes in at 514-800 i'm not sure if you're aware but i once heard the drinking urine was recommended and popular back in the 90s and practiced for both therapeutic and beauty reasons. So what of the potentially dangerous side effects you just mentioned? So sure, a fad, just like the putting garlic in your vagina fad, which is uh, clearly uh, not a good idea. But urine is made up mostly of water. But there is that 95% is water. 5% contains waste products. So... Even though it's generally, uh, in the short term at least, considered a a sterile thing, drinking urine still can introduce all kinds of toxins into your body. And if you're drinking the urine of someone else, you don't know what toxins are in their bodies. What if there's an infection of some sort or or what have you? So there's definitely a potential potential problems, but I say potential, not an absolute, but, uh, so not really a good idea. Uh, for the poly question, uh, somebody came up with the suggestion. If the person doesn't have a primary partner, but the partners have a primary that, okay, that makes sense. Then don't be upset when they choose their primary over you. That's part of the deal. So again, it's true negotiating time. So if you are the third, the third person and you don't have a partner, uh, then you're going to be left out many times when your, uh, partner, your, your lover, who you know is not your primary because you know that they have a spouse or a partner, uh, you will, you may feel lonely and you may feel, uh, left out and it's part of the deal, which means you can't really demand that much of their time because they may, um, the person you consider your, uh, partner may choose their primary partner. I know it sounds a bit confusing, but Hey, uh, another texter says the gay guy who likes straight guys, my, Uh, He might like them because they are married and unavailable, so a challenge. And also, he does not have to give a commitment. Straight guys are more masculine, maybe in appearance. So again, a couple of hypotheses there uh, for you to consider. 
Um, I am a 41-year-old woman. I've been in a relationship for two and a half years, dating parents in shared custody, so not living together. We had lots of sex for the first two years, more than I ever had with any other partner. Enjoyed it a lot, felt desired like never before. However, even though nothing changed with his behavior, I want sex a lot less than before over the last six months, like once a weekend instead of twice per day for each weekend day. That is not what worries me so much, but not getting lubricated does. I am aroused and excited in my, in my head, but not much happens down there. Why could that be? That could very well be a, a hormonal shift. It can be uh, due to a medication maybe that you're on. So I don't know if you're on any medications, but you would want to check that out first. I don't know what your periods are like. Are you still completely regular? Could you be premenopausal? That's a, a, a possibility as well. What I would recommend, um, is well, and with age, by the way, before I get to my recommendations, with age, sometimes women uh, lubricate less and less. Okay, some some women it doesn't change. Some women lubricate more. It, it can change for different women, uh, depending on various factors, but mostly uh, hormonal uh, hormonal factors. So what you can do is, if your vagina feels um, dry. You can ask your doctor for some vaginal, they're like vaginal suppositories basically that are estrogen creams or estrogen based, which help restore the moisture to your vaginal wall. Uh, but I would also recommend that you use uh, an external lubricant as well. Um, the ones that I uh, recommend most are the, the most slippery kinds. So silicone-based lubricants work well. They feel very oily. They last a long time. They don't dry up, and they're good to use with latex condoms. Don't use anything oil-based. That does not work uh, with uh, latex condoms. It'll break down the, the, uh, the latex, so be careful with that. A suggestion for women who are being bothered to have unwanted anal sex with a partner. Uh, buy a large dildo and tell him, let me put this in your butt first, then you can have my butt. 99% of the time it works. My girlfriend suggested this to her best friend whose, whose boyfriend is wanting to do anal with her. Uh, all right, well, there you have it. There's something if you uh, keep bothered, if you're bothered by that. Um, some, <laughs> the 41 year old woman says lubricants kill my buzz. Why, why it actually is a sex enhancer. Lubricants are great. They make sex better, uh, for, and you can explore different kinds of, uh, of lubricant. And then another one says, I thought the silicone caused cancer. No, there, I've not read any studies about silicone based lubricants that cause any kind of cancer. Although I'll bring it up with our gynecologist when we have her on next, but I've not seen that. If you have uh, studies or you can uh, reference that uh, statement, then I would love to see it. So uh, I've not seen that. And back to the 41-year-old woman, nothing changed over the last two years in terms of medication or birth control. So it could simply be your just your age and uh, early, I don't want to say early onset menopause, I know nothing about you, so I wouldn't know, but certainly hormone changes do occur uh, in, this age, uh, in this age range as well, so that's possible.
how do you safely physically do uh, anal sex? So how do you physically safely do it? You uh, approach it in a, a very slow way. The person has to be prepared. Remember that the anus does not lubricate like the vagina, so you would need a whole lot of lubrication. In order to prepare a, a partner, you might want to start with just some anal stimulation on the outside with a finger and then slowly inserting uh, one finger, then maybe two fingers to see how comfortable your partner is before putting in uh, a penis-sized toy or yourself. Uh, so you would want to work your way up to that. Um, remember that when we're nervous or when we are anticipating pain, what happens? We clench, right? You You end up uh, uh, clenching your pelvic floor. So all your muscles tense up, which includes your sphincter muscle. Uh, so it, which would make it very painful if it's, uh, if it's squeezed shut and you try to, to, to go in, right. To, to penetrate, that would be very painful. So the person would have to be very, very relaxed and open, excuse the pun, but open to this kind of activity. If they, uh, feel conflicted about it or fearful about it, then uh, th that nervousness is not going to be uh, helpful in terms of, you know, getting them to be relaxed enough. So those are some of the, um, some of the tips I can offer you right off, uh, off the top of my head. If anybody else wants to add to that, how do you safely physically do anal sex? Uh, please contribute to the program. I'm very happy to, uh, to, to read out your own uh, thoughts and suggestions. Uh, texture writes, what about uh, water-based lubricants? Water-based lubricants are fine too. Of course, they're fine. There's water-based, silicone-based. Um, they just, it depends on the brand, but many of them tend to, like the gels and things like that, uh, tend to dry up faster. So um, it's a question of preference, and it's also a question of what how your vagina feels. Uh, some people tolerate only like water-based lubricants. Some people find other kinds of lubricants more irritating. So you may have to try different ones to see which one is best um, for you. Coming up, somebody wants to know, what is the line between a healthy and toxic relationship? Uh, that's something that I'm sure you guys can weigh in on and uh, let this person know. I'll give my two cents, but you can put in your two cents as well. with Dr. Lori Batido on CJAD 800. Answering your questions tonight and uh, sharing some of your comments. So on the question of how do you have safe uh, uh, physically, how do you safely physically do anal, a texter writes enema before anal in caps. Uh, avoid those accidents. So there's another option. Uh, well, that's something that is recommended. And they actually sell... These, uh, this is just a small bulb, looks like a pear and it's filled with warm water and it's, you squeeze it into, uh, into the rectum to clean out whatever leftover, uh, little bits of fecal matter are there. So that's something to do. Another person writes, the person receiving needs to be super relaxed, breathing exercises, 
as penetrative devices enter is very helpful. So taking breaths, uh, I guess, uh, uh, some deep breaths and, and things like that. So that, that helps. Another question, how can someone with HIV have sex without infecting their lover? Safe sex, safe sex tips, please. So a couple of things with HIV. If, a, if your partner has HIV, there are medication, there's a medication out now that it, that if, uh, the person takes it on a daily basis, regular basis, that it completely, this is according to the latest research, completely, um, uh, reduces the viral load to practically nil, like intransmittable. So I think if you are with a partner who's HIV positive, they should absolutely consider going on this medication. I think it's called PrEP. Uh, I don't, there's, I know there's two, there's one preventative and there's one if you have HIV. So, uh, and the studies are amazing, uh, on that, Ex- extremely positive. So that's something. The other thing is HIV is transmitted through bodily fluids, whether it's, um, blood, uh, semen, or anal fluids, uh, not so much saliva. They would have to be in huge quantities for that to be transmitted. So using a condom is actually the best protection uh, from HIV. Well, besides the, the medication. So that would be it. 514-800, you still have a bit of time to, uh, to uh, send in your questions. So what is the line between a healthy and toxic relationship? We could probably do like a whole show on this, right? Um, I would ask you, how do you feel in the relationship? Does your partner make you feel good? Are you constantly walking on eggshells? Uh, is uh, your partner... Uh, abusive? Are you abusive to each other? Do you have conflicts that are never resolved? Do you get nasty with each other? Um, are you uh, criticized or diminished often in the relationship? Do you feel insecure in the relationship? Is there a sense of equality between the two of you? Um, is one partner super controlling, uh, very jealous, these are all things that to me are red flags that I would want to explore further. So, uh, but check in with yourself. Like how, how does this relationship make you feel? Does it create a lot of anxiety in you? Uh, then it's probably quite toxic if it's, if that is the source of your, um, anxiety. A couple more texts on anal sex. Apparently enemas could also be dangerous by causing anal tears when inserted. Well, you wouldn't use the big long enemas. There are specific uh, anal cleansing uh, tools out there and with uh, a, a very short um like insertable uh, thing, uh, so which should not cause damage to uh, the rectum. So that's something that are, these are used very, very frequently. Uh, when my boyfriend and I have anal sex, he likes to start on top. We use plenty of lube so that he can ease himself onto it. And then from there, we change positions. So that's uh, 
more advice on having uh, safe anal sex as well. If anybody else wants to contribute, uh, please do. We still have a couple of minutes left. And what's your idea of a toxic relationship? I'm sure there are plenty of us out there uh, who have had at some point in our lives uh, a relationship that we might consider uh, toxic for sure. How do I measure my penis? This person wants to know. So generally the penis is measured, I believe, from the underside at the base of the penis, if you want to get a, a true measurement. And But beware when you measure because you want to measure, let's say you're measuring in your erect state. Remember that a penis in its flaccid state is no indication of how big it will get in its erect state. So, um, but also you have to see if you have the maximum blood pumping through your penis. So if you're just trying to get an erection to measure, you may not have a complete and full or, or an erection that is at your maximum, uh, your maximum level. Uh, you could use a penis pump to to get to to get the most engorgement possible. That's a that's an idea, as well. Uh, is it possible to change the nature of a relationship for it to no longer be toxic? That's a great question. And as a, a marriage counselor, of course, uh, I see. Have to tell you, sadly, I see quite a few toxic relationships. It is definitely possible when both parties recognize the toxicity of it and both want to make it better. If it's just one person thinking, what can I do? And the other person says, I don't have a problem. You have the problem. Uh, that is unlikely going to uh, resolve any of that because the person who says, well, I don't have a problem, they may continue to be abusive or, or and continue their behavior. Although, yes, you can learn how to set boundaries and consequences, which are it is extremely important uh, because often toxic relationships are maintained because of a lack of boundaries and consequences for um, especially the person who is being uh, abusive in the relationship. So a person can learn to be different and react differently and set boundaries, but that will change the dynamic of the relationship. It may not take away the toxicity of it because the other person may not be willing to do their work. So, um, the best bet really is to get into marriage counseling, couple therapy, where you can start working on this and at least identifying the issues and gives you a safe place to also talk about what's hurting you and uh, where you're, where the issues lie and then having a third party to be able to sometimes validate exactly that, that this is uh, toxic and hopefully your partner will hear it as well. Thank you all so much for uh, these amazing questions tonight. Really appreciate it. Remember, you can send in your questions anytime during the week. At the beginning of every show, I like to uh, take a few minutes and, and respond to some of the questions. So you could do that by email or just text me at the beginning of the show uh, to uh, laurie at drlaurie.com. Thank you so much uh, for listening. Thanks to our technical producer, Brian Kalisar. 
If you want to connect with me on social media, especially to get updates, uh, like my uh, page, my Dr. Lori Batito page, you get updates when we go live on Facebook and you get some of the latest news stories as well that I share on there. Coming up next here on CJD, uh, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion. Oh,